Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast with Seth David and co-host Erica Ed. If you've ever wanted to know the real story behind the most successful business leaders in the world today, stay tuned. Every story doesn't have an instant success, peaches and cream background. We'll ask the questions that need to be asked and get the true stories of success. Now, here is Seth David and Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. My name is Seth David, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, everybody. I'm Erica Ed. And we have an incredibly special guest as usual today. But first, Erica, guess what I did this morning? Did you go on QuickBooks Online? You nailed it. I did (laughs) go into QuickBooks Online. I checked. I wanted to make sure I wasn't running out of money. And fortunately, I'm not. Not yet, anyway. Good. You never know what can happen tomorrow. I, I hope that doesn't happen tomorrow either. I love the fact, though, that it's so easy to get into QuickBooks Online and check my balances and even update my bank feeds from my mobile device. It's just so cool. It makes it so convenient, so easy. I don't have to worry about being tethered to my computer when I'm needing to get a quick update on where my finances are at. And I love the fact that I can even run a balance sheet in PL right off the mobile app. To see any kind of reporting on a mobile app, to me, was very, very impressive. Yeah. I actually was quite stunned when I saw that in the mobile app myself. Yep. Cool stuff. With that in mind, I would love to bring our guest on. Our guest is none other than Barbara Cox. Barbara was introduced to us by a mutual friend. And Barbara, you uh, emailed us uh, a bit of the background on your story. It was really enjoyable reading it. I think we're in for a really special treat today in terms of, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, who you do it for. And before we get into all that, I want to kind of take us back. And first of all, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Hi, Seth. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. So the first thing we like to do is what we call the what it was like segment, which means we want to kind of take you back to your childhood and have you just tell us a little bit about that. What was it like for you growing up? What were your interests? And, you know, specifically, we're interested in finding out how that may have shaped you to where you've ultimately gotten to today. Okay, well, in a quick nutshell. Well, we have I, plenty of time. Take your okay. time. <laughs> well, I think that the most helpful thing I learned from childhood was to be a chameleon. I was raised in a military family, and we had to move probably every one or two years. So started a new school, had to leave my friends behind, meet new people. So it helped me to be flexible. Although it was rough, I have to say, I probably wouldn't want to do that again. (laughs) Uh, But it made life so that I, I could chameleon and blend in and meet new people and figure out how people work and I didn't realize I was doing it at that age, but I was kind of studying, like, what made people tick. Mm-hmm. Erica? Not a bad habit to, to work on, really. I mean, I think it's, a, it's always a good thing to be able to learn how to, to observe and sort of, I don't know, blend, I guess. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the cool things is when I'm traveling. I've traveled about 35 countries, and whenever I go to a new city or a new country, they think I'm a local, even if I don't speak the language, like people will come up and ask me for directions. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of funny things, like I don't even know how to speak the language. So, and that kind of, to me, it was, it was a testament to like how 
I think I have moxie and toughness and I like to teach that to people because I think I also mentioned to you I was born at 28 weeks in the 60s and don't calculate how old I am because I tell my, my daughter to say I'm 40 to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was born at 28 weeks before they had technology kind of like the caveman days and <laughs> my parents were told that I, I wasn't going to live or that I'd be a vegetable. That's the word they used back then. wasn't mm-hmm. PC. But here I am. I've traveled 35 countries, built my business, met a lot of people. Um, yeah. So literally right out of the gate, you're a fighter. I was yeah. going to say, defying the odds right from the <laughs> beginning there. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I guess I could see it having two different kinds of impacts, you know, the, the constant moving around. On the one hand, you get used to the idea of, you know, you're probably not shy because you, you got used to the idea of having to constantly reacquaint yourself with new people. Yeah. On the other hand, do you think it was in any respect detrimental in terms of learning how to establish long-term relationships with people or did you keep in touch with people as you moved on? I mean, what, how did that kind of impact yeah, you? That's a great question, Seth. I, I've actually kept in touch with friends I've known since I was 12 and a lot of my close friends, it turns out, I didn't plan it this way, but um, there tend to be military kids. I probably, because we think similarly Mm-hmm. So my close gal friends, their dads were all military. And we found out, one of my, my best friends, we just found out by coincidence, we didn't live next to each other when we were kids. We met each other at work years later in our 40s, that both of our fathers worked together in the early 70s and were friends and knew each other. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> wow. And it's, it's probably worth noting here that this was before Facebook. Right. Of course, yes. This was in the early 70s. So. <laughs> right. So it was not like you could just reach out on your computer and stay in touch with somebody, right? Right. It required a phone call or a postcard or something. Of pen pals at that day. Pen right? pals, yeah. When, when, when you were letters. young. Remember letters? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vaguely. Vaguely. <laughs> I was very young when they went away. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I, you know, the audience can't see what I'm doing here, but I, I feel like it's important in the context to point out that I do still carry one of these and we'll describe it. Oh my goodness. Can't see. This is what we, it's one of my clients actually makes these. It's a classic fountain pen. A with fountain a, pen. That's what those are called. Oh, yep. wow. And it, with this classic nib at the end, you can either dip it in the ink jar or you can put the cartridges in to load it with ink. But so Very I. Beautiful. I maintain my uh, my loyalty to the old way of doing it, although I rarely use it. I'll be honest. <laughs> you know, the research shows when you write instead of type, it activates a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's actually helpful. Yep, that yes. is what I've heard and read many times. In fact, when Eric and I first met, and I remember I was teaching Erica a lot of accounting stuff, she would whip out this notebook, and I was I like... Still- I still have my notebook right here, <laughs> right next to me always. I was like, you know, there's things like Evernote that you can use or OneNote, you know, and she's like, no, I like, I prefer to write by hand. I remember, but I said, you know what? I respect that. I'm, even though we're yeah. nerd enterprises, I'm going to back off and let you do it your way. <laughs> and I really, it does it. When I, when I hand write something, I remember it better. I process it differently than when I type it into my device. Right. So, Barbara, moving around a lot as you were getting older, um, what sort of happened next? I mean, at some point, you, I know you reached college age and went to college. So right. 
take us through that timeline between being a young child and moving around and how you got to sort of college age and what you were interested in studying by then. Yeah. Looking back, when you had me summarize the story on paper, I was like, wow, how did I do that? I'm a pretty tough chick, but if you just do what you you got to do. So my parents had, a, you know, all that moving around was a tough deal. So they ended up having a pretty harsh divorce. Hmm. And my mom raised me as basically a single mom. And we were pretty near, we were poverty level. So I just figured, hey, nobody's going to do this for me. I applied to scholarships, put myself through college, got a job like right after college working for the government, a nice stable career. And uh, I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur because I felt like, hey, that's not safe, you know, coming from single mom and you got to get a safe job and working for the, the government was where I first landed. So it's pretty right. safe. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important for context because you mentioned this in what you wrote to us beforehand that, you know, you, you'd mentioned that your parents, uh, you know, you, it was the 60s, right? When you were born, your parents yeah. grew up in that age, but, but that when your parent, your mother had a good job actually before she married your father. Yeah. And then when she got married, and was it when she when they had you, or beforehand? That was it. As soon as she got married, she left her job, or when? Yeah. Well, it, this again was during I, from what I can recall. I mean, I wasn't born then. Before, the stories I hear is this: when they first met, it was the Vietnam War. My father was in the reserves, and he had to go. He got stationed in a different area, and they were dating. So he said, "Do you want to get married? Because I I'm moving and." You, you either stay or go. And so she had to quit her job because she had, at that time, she had a secretarial job and she was telling me, you know, women had to wear a girdles and pantyhose or else she'd get fired. I mean, this wasn't that long ago when you look at no. the things. And she worked in an office and she'd mentor the men and they'd get promoted above her. So it was just a thing. Like when you got married, you were expected to to quit. So she moved away and went to the military base with my father. And then they had me. I get the image of what's that show about that advertising agency? Oh, in the the Mad Men. Yeah. Yes, Mad Men. I get that kind of image from what you're describing. That's, yes. that's what it must have been like. It sounds like that's the way things were, you know? Yeah. 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 So, okay. So your mother obviously had to quit her job in order to move if she wanted to stay with your dad. And so get that. Um, and then we kind of move forward to you uh, realizing after your parents had a rough divorce that you had to really kind of hustle and do things for yourself. Nobody was going to hand anything to you, right? Do you think that played a significant role in the in what drove you? It sounds like it. Yes. Yeah, so, well, and then I ended up writing a book about all this, and it's about to be published in a few months. So mm. what I, I found was that I wanted to help people learn this moxie, I'll call it. It's like, you know, life can have its ups and downs, but what I see is like, don't let the downs pull you down into the mud and keep you there. It's like you take what you have and you make the best of it. And I used to just be able to pull myself up from my bootstraps. No one taught me that. I don't know where I learned it, to be honest. But I saw as looking at the world, a lot of times people get stuck in the mud. And I was like, hey, let's not get stuck in the mud. Let's move to the next level and do what you can. I, and I work with men and women because, you know, it can happen to anybody. But as I was looking at what happened with my mom and leaving her job and having three kids and then 
being left basically destitute, I was like, hey, that's not going to happen to me as a woman. And hopefully that I could teach other women not to go into that mode. And, you know, we've evolved a lot in the past 40, 50 years. So now I think it's more of moving the mindset into management, like helping women develop leadership skills and how do you have the mindset to move your business forward. I work a lot with entrepreneurs so teaching them like, don't get mired in the stress of, you know, when you're starting your business, it can go up and down. So right. it's about managing the stress and leveraging your talents. But I mean, how far back in your childhood do you think you knew like this is what you wanted to do? You know, was it, was it long before you went to college and decided what you were going to study that you knew, like, I'm going to do something here, uh, you know, or was it like, how did that evolve actually? Yeah. You know, I think it just happened kind of by synchronicity. I won't say accident because I don't like the randomness of that, but it was kind of like, well, I started with the stability of the government job and then I was like, you know, that's so regular and nine to five. And there's a part of me that's very artsy and like uh, contemplative, I guess. And I wanted something different. So then I ended up going to grad school to study psychology because I honestly didn't, I didn't have, I wasn't like you where I I kind of, as a kid was like, I'm very like into the numbers and I'm going to be an accountant. You know, it was like, where do I fit in the grand scheme of things? And I had so many different, being a chameleon and changing every year, it also took time for me to figure out really who I am. And maybe a lot of people are that way, um, just to figure out where I fit. And so I didn't really figure that out till my 30s is when I started my own business. And what did you study at undergrad? I was a biologist. I did environmental protection for the Department of Defense. People rag on the Department of Defense, but they were really innovative. We did... uh, pollution prevention planning. We did all kinds of really cool, innovative stuff to clear out nasty chemicals from the workspaces and bring in more environmentally friendly things. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That is very cool. And it's a big jump from that to psychology. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it makes sense. But I guess how I tied it together, because one of my last projects, I was working as a government consultant before I finished my PhD. So I I started um, organizing meetings for when the military transitioned large chunks of land back in the 90s when they were realigning the bases to go to the uh, cities. I'd help organize the meetings and to kind of calm down the public when they were worried about environmental problems. Hmm. When the military bases had these plots of land, there'd be gasoline, there'd be, you know, gas stations there or um, possible contamination that they had to clean up because of it was a military base. So the public, we had to work with them and show them that, in fact, we had their best interests at heart. And then now looking back, I just found out they completed the project I worked on was uh, transferring Nevada, the military base in Northern Cal. Do you know that one? Um, No, I don't, to be honest. There was a, a big military base in Northern Cal called Nevada, and they they opened the residential work, well's work, live, mixed use um, facility that the city opened. And that didn't open until 2006 because it took many, many years to get it done. And now I found out they have cool hipster workplaces and um, 
like a wetlands preserve for the least churn, the bird, and all kinds of really cool things that that turned into, that project turned into. So I got more into the people part of it. Does that make sense? Because I was running the meeting. Yeah. And people yeah. were kind of worried and I was calming them down. I thought, hey, I'm pretty good at this. That makes a lot of sense, especially, I think, given, you know, your, where you came from, your background and what you experienced from what you described. You know, it makes yeah. a lot of sense to me that you would be able to be sympathetic and empathetic to people who are going through, you know, worries and fear. And right. it's that chameleon quality sort of that makes you have the ability to be trustworthy to different groups of people, right? Yeah, you know, I never thought of it that like, way, America, but that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I mean, if you can be that chameleon, you come into the community, people think you're one of them. Right, yeah. And you're, and you're just instantly more trustworthy than the outsiders coming in, telling them the facts, you know? That's true, because when I met, it was all sorts of different kinds of people, and I'm always able to empathize with where they're coming from. Yeah, yep. it's a great quality. All right, we got to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the what happened part of the story. So uh, right after these brief messages from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to Quick books.intuit.com to find out more. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening 
listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're with the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm Seth David. Yours isn't. I'm still here, and I'm still here with Erica. Hey, I'm still here, too. And we're still here with Barbara. Barbara has not left yet. Hi, I'm still here. We haven't scared you away. No. Excellent. So uh, when we left off, we are just kind of talking about how your experiences led you to, you know, at least early on your chosen career. We haven't gotten into what evolved from there yet because we're not ready for that yet. I want to go somewhat back into your story. And really, this is the what happened segment, which is where we really want to focus on, you know, the struggles you've had and how you've overcome them. It sounds like your struggles were many, especially early on. It sounds like that may be... uh, somewhat, if not largely, at the root of what drove you. Um, but I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that, you know, because we've all had them, and somebody listening to this podcast right now may very well be going through it. They may very well be thinking, you know, I'm building this business, but it's a lot of work, and it's really not going well, and they're ready to give up. And, you know, I want people to hear the stories of people like yourself who had struggles, had difficulties, overcame them, and then got to a place where I think it's safe to say you are today, where you can be described as somebody who's successful, where success at least is defined as you having achieved a lot of what you'd wanted to achieve. You know, I'm sure there's more to go. So what's what's the question? (laughs) So, well, it wasn't really a question as much as it was, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the struggles you've had. Um, and how you overcame them. I mean, what was it like growing up and being in the care of your mother? And you described the situation as, you know, destitute, I think was the word you used. Yeah. You know, where um, I know that ultimately drove you to go to college and say, I got to do something here. But what was it like when you were going through it? I mean, was there a lot of fear around it? Was there a lot, you know? Yeah. You know, I think when looking back, it seemed more fear- fearful than I actually felt at the time. But that might have been a protective mechanism. So since we're here talking to all these people to help them for whatever they're going through, it's like when I hear people going through struggles and see what they've done to overcome them, it helps me gather strength from my own journey. And during that time, I think my parents divorced when I was about 14. So it was already, you know, when you're 14, who wants to go back to that age, right? Even people from posh, middle-class lives, say 14, is really difficult. And so you're going through a sense of who am I, what's my identity, who who likes me in middle school or high school. <laughs> and then compounded upon all that is like, you know, and what boy is thinking about me, all those junior high, high school things. My parents, you know, went through this bitter argumentative divorce where because my parents divorced in a non community property state um my mother was basically left penniless when they didn't community property here in california basically 50 50 and having to be kind of slept around the u.s every year with three kids you don't really develop outside job skills and this was before they have ways to like help you re-enter the workforce um which i hope they have more today of so my mom really struggled buying minimum wage jobs, which is hard to support three kids. And I started getting, I guess I was pretty entrepreneurial as a teenager because I always, I always found the jobs of babysitting or tutoring. And I, 
I was very intellectually smart, so that was just gifted to me. I studied, but I think that was one of the talents life gave me. So I used that to my advantage, and I developed a, a pretty lucrative tutoring business when I was a junior and senior in college. Wow. And saved up money. I tutored English and and math, actually. I like math. I'm a little bit of a nerd, too. I love it. <laughs> I'm a nerd artist. I have, like, left brain and right brain integration there. Mm-hmm. So I, I taught math. I taught um, algebra, and um, and that paid well. So I was like, dang, I like this. I'm going to do my own little side business here. And then that partially put me through college. I went to University of California, San Diego um, when I was 18. And I, w- I thought it'd be pre-med. Again, I thought, where can I get the, <laughs> the most safety from my money? It was like, because that did drive me. I didn't want to end up like my mom and struggling. Um, so I kind of made my choices early on, not really based on what my heart wanted, but really what was safe. I don't know if that was the best thing, but you know, for people out there doing what they need to do, I just, it's like life is a journey. So don't be too hard on yourself mm-hmm. or what the choices you make. Cause you eventually get where you want to go anyway. Right. right. Either the hard way or the easy way. Yeah. What I love about what you said and what I, what I'm sort of getting out of it at the core is you found your strength. Right, you said yeah. your strength was that you were you were you were a good academic. You knew how to study. You knew how to learn, you know what was in the textbooks, what was what yes. was taught in school, and you turned that around into an asset. Right, to use an accounting term. Right, yes. you yes. turned that into an asset, and you said, "I can go teach people, and I can get paid to do that because I'm good at this." Yes. And did you find that you enjoyed the process of teaching? Oh, I love teaching. Yeah, I love that. I did that for several years. Mm-hmm. I learned that late in my own life. I, I, I will never forget. I've shared this story before. I think I might have shared it on one of our podcasts. But years ago, I was home in New York visiting with family. And we were at, uh, you know, one of my cousin's bat mitzvahs, cousin's daughter. And next morning, I was awake in the kitchen. My aunt was making coffee. And she's and, and prior to the night before, I had been sitting with her just working on my website, and it looked like she was paying attention and interested, so I started showing her what I was doing in WordPress, right? And she, was my, like, 65-year-old aunt. She, I was like, she's interested in this, but she was. So yeah. the next morning, clearly referring back to that experience of me kind of explaining to her what I was doing, she says, I have to talk to you. You missed your calling. You should have been a teacher. And she was a teacher really? her whole career. How funny. So I, I just, I myself learned late in life that I really love teaching, but that's a big part of what we actually do at Nerd Enterprises is, you know, the video trainings and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I love that and I can relate to that, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say. I can see how being a smart academic, you know, and it's rewarding, right? I mean, what we're, right. it's when you see the light come on in the eyes of the person you're tutoring, right, that's, that feels probably better than any amount of money they paid you, yeah? Of course, when I see that light bulb go off. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I get it. It's just, uh, to me, there's no better feeling than knowing. Yeah, I can see you have that. You like that when the light bulb goes off for your students. Yeah. Yep. It makes me feel so good. Because it, it makes me feel like I've really actually changed someone's life and made a difference. Right. I feel like that's what's the most rewarding about running your own company is helping change people's life for the better. Right. I love that. And so, so going back to that experience, that it sounds like that's, that was your sort of coping mechanism, right? Because you, right. you had to put yourself through college. You'd mentioned earlier, you applied for scholarships. So you did whatever it took. 
Right, right. I was resourceful. You know, I I found out later through you had mentioned oh, it must be hard like leaving behind your family, relatives, friends when you're moving. One of the things I learned to do, which I didn't consciously do it till I looked back and figured out what I was doing, I connected well with people. I learned that it's important to find the right connections that are simpatico and reciprocal. So I started, I looked back in my family records and I found my Finnish relatives. I'm, my great-grandfather came from Finland. So we, I started hanging out with them since I was 19 every so often. And there's a term in Finland for toughness, being able to pull yourself up from the bootstraps. It's called sisu. Don't ask me to spell it. But there's actually a term for Finnish people where you can greatly overcome very tough circumstances. So I, I wonder, too, if it's partly a genetic thing since they have a term for it. Yeah, it sounds like it could be. So I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think there's something to be said for, you know, sort of giving back, right? Mm-hmm. Any person I've talked to who's had any real struggles in one way, shape, or form or another has, seems to have found, I guess, for lack of a better word, solace in giving back in some way, helping others. That always seems to be the answer in the end. Well, I think it also, when you go through struggles and you get to a point where you're you're like, what's it all mean? You know, if you go through so much, it puts you through a kind of dark night of the soul, so to speak. And you, you ask yourself, well, why am I here? What's it all mean? And I think that's my answer. And probably like you alluded to is like, well, I'm here to help people not go through what I had to go through. I mean, kind of notch the world up one more evolutionary step. I'm a biologist at heart. So I feel like part of that is we're evolving to like, a better society to make things better, to help people out. Yeah. I think it helps too when you're going through stuff, you know, when you find that, like, cause a lot of times I've, I've felt in my life that like, I'm, I'm failing that I'm the one I, I'm not on the level that all these people around me are on and it's my failure. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I talk to people and they share their experience with me, it's like, Oh no, I'm not failing. Like they right. will, they went through this already and they're on the other side of it. And I think that's kind of the gift when you've had an experience is being able to share that experience with other people, like you're saying, and pull them through it. And it makes you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Right. That's a great point, Erica. Cause I was just, I'll, I'll share that. I was like a couple of years ago, I was looking at my, my bucket list for life and <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of on the young end for what I've accomplished, but I was still like in the back of my mind, oh, I haven't published my number one best-selling book yet. That's on my <laughs> bucket list. And I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And what's wrong with me? And then, you know, writing up these lists for the radio show, I'm like, wait a second. I wasn't even supposed to live. And here I am. I'm walking around. I've traveled the world. I better be nicer to myself. So I think that's what it boils down to. Instead of we all, it's like a human trait, I guess, to say, I'm a failure. I'm not measuring up to this list. (laughs) And um, everybody's doing it and nobody talks about it. So we might as well just say, okay, you know, let's get over it and try to be nice to ourselves every day a little bit. Yeah. We are, we are our own worst enemies, right? Yeah. There's a reason they came up with that phrase. Yeah. I love, but I love, I got this idea when you said what you just said, that uh, it's like, I'm doing really well for somebody who should be dead, right? 
<laughs> dark humor I love it <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, so this is great stuff I'm curious did you have sort of mentors that you looked up to in those days people whose books you read or just people who in your family or personal life that you looked up to because we've seen a theme along those lines it seems like you know almost everybody we've talked to has had has a mentor yeah you know I have to say that's one thing I wish I would have found like somebody I'd call a mentor. I, I actually, I have somebody now, but that wasn't until my forties that I found a person I consider a mentor. I'd always find nice people and reciprocal people that we'd help each other out more on like a collegial, like equals level, but the, the level of somebody who's gone way ahead and helps you out and, teaches you that I kind of had to just learn from trial and error and talking to other people and now I, I feel like that's why I like mentoring people one of the things I do is work with mentoring people to help them move ahead and and that's because I wish I had a mentor at that age you know I wish I had a mentor in my teens or 20s right uh, you know yeah. And to me, that's, that's giving back. That's the thing I love to do, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, you read a lot of stuff these nowadays out there, you know, on the internet and, and books that people have written about, you know, how they've succeeded and whatnot that it's like more people should ask. It's like, we're afraid to ask because we think the person we want to ask is too busy for us. Yeah. yeah. Just ask because everybody else is thinking that so that everybody else is afraid to ask. If you ask, you'll be the one refreshing person that actually might've asked somebody like me or somebody else, you know, for help that we're only too happy to figure out how we can carve out the time to help somebody who can really use it. Yeah, that's a great point, Seth, is ask for mentorship. Um, I have to say my my supervisor, my bosses in the Department of Defense were great. Mm. They really helped me out um, in terms of just kind of how to be at work in my early 20s, because when you're 22, 23, I feel like I didn't really know what what's work, you know, versus studying a book. And so they were quite helpful and supportive, I'd say. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, I've been discussing a lot lately, it seems uh, with some of my friends and colleagues and online that, you know, the term, they have that term Mm -hmm. self-made. Nobody's truly self-made. We've all had help come from somewhere. Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I was always an avid reader. So, I can't think of one book that was like the the highlight of like, oh, this was the light bulb that moved me forward. But I would I would go to the library and look at books and say, who's who's struggled and made it and it might sound a little like populist, but I love Oprah Winfrey. So <laughs> hearing her stories and watching her movies and reading her stuff, it that was motivating for me as a teenager. She yeah. spoke at QuickBooks Connect for us. Oh yeah. Last year or the year before. And she blew me away. And I was not expecting that. I really honestly, I mean, I know I get who she is and how powerful she is, but I did not expect to be blown away the way that I was. I didn't think I was going to be able to really relate, but she, she blew me away. I had like practically front row seats, I think for it. And I I had chills down my spine the whole time. She was, she's amazing. She has such a presence and I relate to her struggles as a woman too and background. So just listening to her, it always motivates me. Yep. And that's something I think, you know, even like you said, you didn't necessarily have uh, maybe a traditional mentor, but I mean, I think Oprah qualifies as that for a lot of us, you know, it's, it's, it can, I think, be anything that motivates us and, and 
helps us get through those dark times, you know? And yeah, I always recommend to my clients is like, find somebody who's doing what you want to do or is a few steps ahead and ask them to mentor you. But if they, if they're not available, connect with these, even like uh, YouTube videos of somebody motivating like Oprah or someone else, somebody that you resonate with that helps move you forward, you know? Absolutely. Uh, we got to take another short break, but when we get back, uh, we're going to talk a little more to Barbara about what you have going on today. Um, and I want to hear more about your book and uh, all the good stuff you have happening in your world today. So we'll be okay. right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services, from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to QuickBooks books.intuit.com to find out more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at nerdenterprises.com. That's Seth at nerdenterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Seth. Hi. Good. Okay, you're still here. Good Good to know. Yep. Uh, and we're back with Barbara. Uh, we've just gone through sort of uh, what it was like, uh, what happened in Barbara's life that sort of got her to where she's at today. Uh, she has a book coming out. Is it a, it's not released yet or is it out yet? It's on, it's on the publisher's website for pre-order, but it will be released, I believe, in February. Okay, so a few short months. It's called The Muse Process, Unleashing the Power of the Feminine for Success and Fulfillment. Yes. I, for one, am excited to read that. Uh, tell us a little bit 
more about it. Sure. I worked on this book, well, I think basically my whole life without knowing it, but really for the past five years, I've been collecting all the stuff we've been talking about, like how did I move forward in life as a woman? How did I end up mentoring other women and business owners to move forward? And I saw that women had kind of an unconscious belief system activating, myself included, that when certain things happen in your life, getting partnered, getting married maybe, being in that significant other relationship, having a child, sometimes for women, there's a part of their individuality that would get shut down or turned off. And they didn't do it on a conscious, purposeful level. It just kind of happened. And then life would just go by and they'd kind of put everything to the wayside except for the kids and the, the partner. And even if they didn't have kids, it was just the partner kind of became in the hierarchy of, of things, the top thing, and everything else kind of fell by the wayside. And then they realized, hey, what's going on here? Or what am I missing? And there's kind of this scrambling for self-identity and figuring things out. And so that really motivated me to figure out how to put this into a systemized process to help women be aware of that and move through it and transform it. And I think we're doing that as a society. Um, to be honest, even now we're kind of clearing out our collective unconscious shadow closet, so to speak, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the closets being cleaned out, hopefully quicker rather than slower. And so that's really what the book's about. It's a, a systemized process to clean out some of those old unhelpful beliefs that we may inherit inherit through um, just unconsciously that just get accidentally passed down. It might have helped us thousands of years ago, but maybe today it doesn't. Does that no, make sense? Absolutely. Now, those uh, sort of unconscious, but that, that belief system, where does that come from? Well, in a nutshell, it, it's complicated. <laughs> you have to say, you have to read the book to get the full story. But um, in a nutshell, I'd say it's from our evolutionary kind of background is like kind of imagine us in the caveman or cavewoman days. We're really narrowed down to survival issues thousands of years ago. The modern day, it's like once we have more time on our hands to develop culture and arts and leisure time and jobs and careers, that's a whole different mindset, a whole different set of talents and skills that people need to develop. But if we're in survival mode and passing survival mode down, survival mode, it's all about, you know, gathering nuts and berries and keeping your offspring alive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it is in, in effect. So if, you're, if your brain is running on survival mode and you're not really addressing that or conscious of it, then you do things differently in the modern era. If you're on the mode of like, I need to take care of my offspring and gather nuts and berries and make sure no one dies. That's a different mindset than really, I feel like what we need to upgrade. It's like, we need to upgrade our app, right? Mm -hmm. We need to upgrade our app to match our modern time. And, and you, you had written to us a little bit about this in the email, and I was actually fascinated by that because even though I'm a man, I could relate to it, that when you're in that kind of fight or flight mode, you do react differently. 
right? Versus when you're in the mode of being empowered and being sort of like in front of everything and saying, no, I'm going to take control. I'm going to do this. I have ideas about where I want to be, what I want to do. And you also talked about, and I think this is really important and fascinating at the same time, the differences between men and women and how they will function in the workplace. Um, I forget the exact words you used, but you talked about how women, I think, and of course we're generalizing, I guess, but they're more creative and more like the thought process is different and both play an important role. Can you, yes. can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, basically, the, the research shows that we both genders benefit when we bring in what I call the more feminine characteristics. And I'm talking not just so much gender-based, but more, if you look at like Eastern philosophies of yin and yang, do you know yin and yang is like, yin's the more feminine uh, and yang is the more masculine archetype. And the theories and kind of the yoga and the martial arts in that world is that we each have the feminine pole, the yin, and we have the masculine side, the, the yang. So bringing those two sides together and integrating them is the most useful and adaptive and efficient for modern days. So yin qualities would be being um, open and receptive and kind of like the chameleon aspect, like I talked about mm-hmm. being and um, collaborative community intuition. Those are more yin feminine qualities. Yang is more like go getter action, move forward, get things done in a linear step-by-step fashion. And so I argue that we need, men and women need to tune into both sides of the poles, yin and yang, and integrate both and bring the best qualities from each side. And when you integrate them, you get the best result. Does that make sense? Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And that's covered in the book is sort of the process of how to get there where you're sort of coming to that balance. Right. And the book is focused primarily for women who are integrating like work-life balance, family, career, thinking about family, what do I want it what to look like with my career, all that stuff. But the process works for men and women. It's a, basically an integration of what are my, what are these so-called feminine qualities and so-called masculine qualities, the linear integrated with the intuition, and how can I access both sides for my benefit, for the world's benefit too, because yeah. the research shows when you do integrate both aspects, workplaces are more productive and more financially profitable too. Yeah. So a, a, a more balanced workplace is, has a better bottom line. Yes. Yes. If we want to look at the numbers, I mean, this is a show on accounting. So I figured profit is good. You know, if you want to look at it from a profit center, there's data to back that up. It's not just touchy-feely like, oh, let's go sing <laughs> at the campfire. You know, we can, we can do better business, too. I think it's a very timely conversation because I think, you know, we do have uh, a shift uh, in, our, in our workplace. I think women are gaining entry into higher levels of management. And obviously, the struggle is ongoing. But, but we're getting there. But there's still that sort of the argument of how do you be, how are you the, a female as a female? How are you the CEO of the company and also a mother? Like as if you have to be one or the other, there can right. be a balance between the both. And I, I found in certain countries, it's interesting that question doesn't come up as much, 
But here, since we're talking about America, it's like sometimes in the back of women's minds, there's like, are you going to be this or that? Are you going to be a wife or this? Are you going to be a mother or this? And it doesn't have to be an either or process. And right. It's almost like there's a stigma, though, that like Erica yeah. said, if you're a female right. CEO, then you must be neglecting your children, which is just awful. And, it, and that's an assumption that I feel it comes from that very deep recess of the collective closet that yeah. we're all cleaning out. And we each have to clean out our own closet. And then eventually, you know, looking even as a woman, it's like this is something you can do individually to shift it's like when I look at a woman CEO when I think oh she must be avoiding uh, avoiding her family if she's looks all made up and she's running the business well then I need to look within myself too and say where can I delete that assumption where can I transform that into something more helpful where we're all working together and instead of thinking that think something like wow she's really got it together and she's teaching the research also shows working moms uh, kids tend to do better on several measures in terms of confidence, especially girls. So then when we bring that into the forefront, instead of saying, I really feel like it's not a question of, oh, you're a woman, let's all become CEOs. No, it's like, ask yourself, what, did you, what do you want? What's interesting to you? Instead of it being a question of, oh, you're a girl, you can't be a CEO. <laughs> Whatever you like, do that. If you want to stay home and have 10 kids, I'm happy for you. If you're happy. Yeah. The whole premise is don't run your life based on a collective societal belief that this is what you should do. Yeah. As Jane Doe or Joe Doe, just tune into what you like, what we've been talking about, what your strengths are, what your skills are, what your interests are, and what you're here to do to make the world a better place. Yeah. And do men need to start, I'm sorry, go ahead, Erica. Oh, I was going to say, I think you you bring up an interesting point about if you want to stay home and raise a family and be the housewife, that's okay too. Yeah. No, you know, like, no, let's stop sort of stepping on each other's dreams because of this idea of what you should be or should not be or, you know. Based on an external group of people saying that's what you should do. I stayed home for three years to raise my daughter because I figured I needed to figure this parenting thing out. (laughs) I honestly didn't get it. I was more of a book person. I'm like, well, this isn't in the books. Where's this thing in the books? I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) There were no books on the subject? I'm sure there's plenty. It's like I'm reading the book and doing this and it's not. It's not lining up. Right. The books didn't adequately prepare you. (laughs) That's hilarious. Do you think there's an element of the men having to meet the woman halfway? Like if my wife said to me tomorrow, hey, Seth, you know what? I want to change my career. I want to do this, this, and that. I would First of all, I'd say, God bless. Let's go. Let's do it. I've told her that from day one. Like at one point in our experience, she said, she, you know, it was a long story. It goes much deeper than I can get into here. But the bottom line was she was like, I need to quit my job and because she was miserable. And I said, then quit your job and yeah, we'll figure right. it out. And then I, I've always said to her, if, and, and when you want to go work, go work. Just, I will support you whatever you want to do. I think there's, I want, and I'm wondering really if, you know, if we're talking about a woman who says, yeah, I, I, I want, I have things I want to do. I'm ambitious. I want to, I want to be the CEO of a company. And if that woman is married, <laughs> is it really incumbent upon the man to say, okay, great. Let me meet you halfway. Let me help with the stuff that traditionally is seen yeah. as what the woman does at home with raising the kids. And this is where I, I want to preface it with 
there's a million different ways to skin the kitty, so to speak. I have a cat. I like that <laughs> phrase, but I can't think of a better one. Um, that think about what works for you and your family instead of looking outside for an external validation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like, for instance, my financial planner, she's kick butt and she has kids and her husband is basically the house dad and that works for them. And so she has like a large financial planning business and does well. And she said that because her husband was flexible and did that, but that's what he wanted to do. You know, if somebody else didn't want to stay home and help with the kids in that way, then there's the other options. Like if I would have known my options, I probably would have hired a nanny like 10 hours a week to help me for the way I work and my personality. But Mm-hmm. That these different options weren't kind of collectively in our awareness. You know what I mean? It was like you can either do A or you can do B. Mm-hmm. But sometimes A and B don't fit everyone. You need to come up with the C's and the yeah. Z's. You know? And that comes back to something you said earlier about being resourceful and, yes. and finding that solution that works for you. Because what works for you, what works for Seth, what works for anybody else may not work for me. And, and exactly digging my heels in and finding and just being determined to find that solution and 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 going getting really resourceful and 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 doing that yeah and like we talked about being open and talking with your friends talking with other people yeah sharing your struggles people tend to close off and keep it to themselves and then you think oh everybody else is doing fine what am I doing wrong but no everybody has struggles so be open and and share. I, you know, it's funny. In the world of sobriety, we have a saying where we say, what gets me sober might get you drunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important to realize because everybody's experience is different. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned about, you know, how everybody's experience is different in the world. And, you know, just because it's sort of context for everyone nowadays, we have social media. And in social media, I think in many respects, especially in terms of the stuff we're talking about here, I think it really hurts people because we're inclined to want to put on a really good image and make yes. everybody think our lives are perfect. So there's this expectation that's set really that where I have my life has to be as good as everybody else's seems to be. Nobody's life is anywhere near as good as what they present on social media. I've talked to people who confidentially told me my life is a freaking train wreck, you know, but you would never know that because nobody goes on Facebook and says, oh my God, I'm about to go bankrupt. My business is going to go under tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) We share the successes much more than we share the failures, you know, and that's what we're taught to do. And that's what we're sort of pressured to do. right? Right. So, and you were talking about authenticity, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important. I think what we learned, what I've learned in my own experience, I think, Erica, you'll agree. I'm guessing, Barbara, you'll agree as well, that authenticity is really important more than ever now. And, and that means actually being vulnerable and being and enabling yourself to be honest about who you are, what you want, where you where you are, where you want to be. Because yes. if you're not able to get that honest and authentic and vulnerable, you'll never be able to get to where you want to go. Because that's that's the first step is recognizing that I I don't have all the power to do all this stuff on my own. And the only way I'm going to be able to get the help is by exposing myself, exposing my weaknesses so I can get people to help me fill in 
those blanks and then acknowledging my strengths like you did, Barbara, when you said you were in college and you recognized you had an asset to capitalize on, which was your ability to study and do well and learn and teach others, right? That's the stuff that we need to start learning to do in this day and age, I believe. Um, Barbara, tell us again uh, the title of the book, when we can find it, where we can find it. And of course, if people want to get in touch with you in any way, shape or form, uh, please feel free to share that with us. Sure. The book is called The Muse Process, Unleashing the Power of the Feminine for Success and Fulfillment. And the pre-order sign-up is on my website, drbarbaracox.com. Mm-hmm. That's D-R-B-A-R-B-A-R-A-C-O-X.com, drbarbaracox.com. So I look forward to hearing from you all out there. If you have any questions for me, feel free to pop me an email there. And thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real honor and a pleasure. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. We're going to go. We'll see you next week with another great episode on the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Don't forget to like us, share us, tell your friends about us, tell your mother, tell your grandmother, tell your grandchildren, tell everybody to watch the or listen. I always say watch, listen to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. And thank you for being with us one more week. Hit us up on our Facebook page at the Authentic Accountant Podcast on Facebook. Uh, It's a group, and we can continue the conversation there. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast.